Welcome back to Don't Be Strangers, a series of wholesome conversations that focuses on fighting social isolation through stories of everyday people. I'm your host, Shinyi, and I typically meet my co-hosts for the very first time while recording. If this sounds fun to you, please consider applying to co-host a future episode. Or if you're into community building and making friends, we now have a Discord channel open to you. All that information can be found on Instagram at Don't Be Strangers. Also, July is the official one-year birthday of Don't Be Strangers. We're celebrating with a public free virtual game night on Sunday, July 24th. It'll be small groups, conversational style, answering questions from past podcast episodes. You'll get to meet other cool, new, potential friends who are all into deep conversations. It'll just be really chill with good vibes, and signups are currently open and linked from the Instagram page. Today, I'm speaking with my friend Nathan of Crawl Across the Sky, whom I met first in a Facebook group called Asian Creative Network. Occasionally, I scroll through the newsfeed in that community and like posts and comments to send some good vibes. Well, apparently I had liked one of Nathan's posts and he tried to friend me. I asked him who he was because I had completely forgotten that I had interacted with his post and he told me that he thought I lived in his part of the world due to the context of the post that he shared and I had liked. And then me being me, of course, I was like, hey, why not? So I accepted the friend request and pretty soon after we had our first video call. My first impression of Nathan from 2019 is that he's a multi-talented artist who does graphics, illustrations, and painting, and is a musician to boot. Extremely well-read, and it showed in the way that he spoke. And honestly, I left that first conversation low-key intimidated by how cool he was. Um, And I don't believe I've ever told him that, so Nathan, if you're listening, yeah, this was my true, real first impression of you. In this conversation today, we touch on topics such as my aromanticism, his aspirations to pivot his career from being a studio painter into programming, everything everywhere all at once, sunflowers and how they grow in nuclear toxic waste, and the theme of suffering in Nathan's art. Speaking of suffering, Nathan alludes to depression and suicide at one point in the third part of the conversation, if that's something that you want to keep in mind. But overall, he's just such a beautiful, open, welcoming soul with such a refreshing outlook on life. I'm honored for you to meet Nathan. So hi, my name is Nathan. Uh, I'm currently 24 and residing in Ellicott City, Maryland. Um, Some of my favorite things to do is to write music as well as doing art. And currently, I'm aspiring to move to San Francisco for a couple months to uh, code or learn how to code. So yeah, that's in the works. Okay, any books that have caught your attention recently and why? Okay, so I haven't been reading as much lately. Um, Okay. Previously, I would would consume a lot of audiobooks and a lot of self-development books, but interestingly enough, about two weeks ago, I was visiting San Francisco. Oh. Um, Yeah, (laughs) so when you said that, I was like, oh. Um, But I was visiting San Francisco to see some friends, um, and one of them is Abhas from, I believe, episode nine. And he had bought me a book for my birthday. It's a fiction book called Loveless by Alice Osman. I think that's how you pronounce their name. But the reason why this author was on Abhas's radar is because, have you heard of the Netflix show Heartstopper? So I've heard of two very like lgbtq shows one of them is our flag is death and then the heart stopper those are the yeah yeah but i heard it's really good 
Yeah, so I haven't seen it myself because he's obsessed with it. He's been also consuming all the author's like works and stuff. Oh,、um, okay. The protagonist goes through this journey during her college years where she comes to find out that she's aromantic. So that was the reason why Abhas gifted me that book. Yeah, I consumed that book in a span of three days, which is probably. The fastest I've consumed a book in a very long time, and I consumed it so quickly, partially because I'm traveling. So when I was in San Francisco, it was actually the week before I would leave the country for three months. I'm currently recording out of Cusco, Peru. Wait, wait whoa, okay, crazy. <laughs> So、okay. he gifted me the book while I was visiting him, and I had the book, and I was like, I don't travel with books because I'm trying to travel lightly, but you gifted me this book, so I need to read this, and I need to read this right now. So that's why I consumed it so quickly because I was just like, you finish this before I leave San Francisco. I just ate it up, and I ate it up also because I mentioned previously that in the majority of my adulthood, I've only been reading. Like nonfiction, personal development books, and so those sometimes can be a bit heavier. Sometimes they have exercises for you to help you with self discovery. It was really refreshing to read something that was targeted at like young adults. So the the language is really lighthearted, and it's so easy to skim because sometimes it's just like a lot of dialogue between you know the cast. So yeah, that was the book that I read most recently, and it was very interesting because the book opens with her being seventeen or something like that, and having never kissed anyone in their life, and everyone being like, "Wow, that is really weird," and she's like, "I'm not weird. Like, I promise, I'm not weird. This isn't weird, right?" <laughs> Through the course of the book, she's just like trying to figure out why is it that I'm like so grossed out by like physical affection. For the majority of the book, I would say like the first half of the book, I actually didn't find her character very relatable. Despite also being aromantic myself, but then the ending was just so wholesome because she comes to realize obviously that she's aromantic,、um, but then the beauty of platonic love, and she's like, "This is this is all I need," and I found that ending very relatable. I have always romanticized platonic love, not not in the sense that like I want to be romantically involved with all my like platonic friendships, but I think that for me. Platonic friendships is like the epitome of like relationships that you could have. I see brotherhood and sisterhood over like having a single person. Actually, for the longest time, I wanted like a best friend, and I think for me, a best friend figure is like the closest that could be parallel to like maybe a romantic person seeking a partner. Because for me, I just like wanted someone who would like die for me. You know, like very parallel to having a romantic partner, but like. Without any of like the the affection aspect,、gotcha. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Okay, I only know like maybe like one ace person and like two arrow people, and that's including you. So like, like it's it's not something that I'm like very familiar with aside from like pop culture, like BoJack Horseman. But yeah, I, I was really curious to hear about how that was working out in your marriage. But I, I guess he answered that question. <laughs> I, I think I'm correct in remembering that he's not a row or ace either. 
how does that work in terms of a marriage dynamic for you guys? To give you full context, and also for the listeners who are wondering, like, what do these acronyms mean if you've never heard them? ARO is short for aromantic, and ACE is short for asexual, and they are two separate concepts. So it's possible to be one without the other, um, but I just happen to be both. So you could be like romantic and asexual, or like sexual and aromantic. The context for how this marriage came to be was basically we were already best friends at this point of like eight months of friendship and then he confessed to me that he liked me romantically and i but when he confessed he already knew that i was a romantic and i just kind of like returned with a blank stare like you already know that i'm aromantic so i don't really understand like being aromantic like what what is the point of this confession you know like what do you expect from this and he was just really honest to say that he didn't have any expectations he just wanted to be honest with me that these were his true feelings and that's my best friend that he wanted to be both honest to himself and to me also for some background context when we first started becoming friends, I had told him that I was aromantic quite early on because part of being aromantic, or at least the way that it manifests for me, is that sometimes I get really stressed out and triggered by straight guys. Like I sometimes, just sometimes, not because I want to assume that like every guy who is nice to me is like hitting on me because I, I don't want to assume that, but then I get really triggered and like really stressed out because I'm like, you might not like me, but like the possibility of you liking me really stresses me out. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so like, even when we started becoming friends, like, I was really stressed out by like his eagerness to like be my friend. And I was like, <laughs> I was like going around in circles about like whether I wanted to be his friend or not, but he was just like my type of weird where I was like, okay, I'm actually kind of intrigued and I wouldn't want to miss out on this opportunity for like a potentially a very beautiful friendship just because I'm like scared of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to pursue it. And then pretty early on, like I told him I'm aromantic and then he also confessed to me that he started hanging out with me because he potentially had like a crush on me. But then as soon as he found out that I was aromantic, he decided to basically like suppress his feelings and like crush them so that he wouldn't risk our friendship over mm-hmm. his feelings. And he was able to successfully kind of like oppress or like, you know, erase those feelings for a while. And then later it came back and then he confessed to me and I was like, okay, so now what? <laughs> you know? um, and at that point he was already my best friend. And I, given that context, I loved him very deeply platonically. And so when growing up a romantic, I have always believed that I was alien. The, the reasoning for this is because aromanticism is never, like hardly ever portrayed in pop culture. Therefore, the the narrative I told myself was romantic love is such a basic human emotion. And I believe that because all the books I read, all the music I listen to, all the movies I consume, I'm like, if I cannot feel this, then I must not be human. Like, Mm. duh. So I really convinced myself that I was alien. And so 
naturally there was a curiosity for what romantic love could be like because I want to belong. I, I want to be part of the human experience. Secondly, I'm an artist and I have seen the works that have been inspired by romantic love. There's the artist side of me who's like, what sort of works could I produce if I could only understand this emotion, you know? And right. beyond all this is the fact that he is my best friend and I love him so deeply platonically that I'm like, okay, yeah, you, if you like this girl, like any girl, like I would support you, but the girl just happens to be me. So <laughs> given all of that, went back to him and I was like, I have always been curious about what romantic love could be like, but I would have never experimented on anyone because I would never want to traumatize anyone, like psychologically traumatize anyone if they found out that I was never actually romantically in love with them, but I was just doing it, you know, for my own curiosity. Secondly, yes, I already love you so much, like platonically. So would you be willing to enter in an experimental relationship with me? I don't know what this means. I think that you're emotionally mature enough for it, and that's why I'm willing to engage. And then secondly, I want you to make the decision whether we do this experimental relationship or not, because I feel like it would be very unfair to you. I'm not taking any emotional risk, you know, by entering right. this, but you technically are, because I could decide, like, just kidding, and then you might be heartbroken, but I, I won't. And his response was, well, if I say no, then I'm just going to always wonder, like, what if, right? So, sure, why not? And us being best friends, we entered into it like, yes, this is both an experiment, and then secondly, let's preserve the best friendship, first and foremost. So if anything feels off on either side, we both have agency to just call it off. Above all else, like, we want to preserve that. That's most important. That happened at the beginning of quarantine, and then... Wait, at the beginning of quarantine? Yeah, I would say Memorial Day 2020. <laughs> so like May 31st or something like that. Yeah. Um, what was, what, I, I remember the last time we talked, we talked about him. I remember this because like, I think I was posting a trip with him on Instagram and then you had loosely um, like commented on it, something like, is that your significant other? And I was like, oh no, that's just like my best friend. We're not, there's nothing between us. And that was before, that was the before like any of this. It was a periphery concert, right? Yes, yes, yeah, 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 no, exactly. Yeah, we went to, we went to Vegas together. Because uh, um, he was like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we did a concert together? Typically, I'm like the plus one of my friends who know the artists, know the songs. Right. And stuff. So I'm like, I've done this so many times. You pick whatever you want to listen to, and I'll just plus one with you. But mm -hmm. on the condition that it's out of town, because I've never traveled oh. out of town for a concert. And I okay. know so many friends who have, and I'm like, Okay, you can pick whatever concert, but it must be out of town. That's a really interesting requisite. So I'm a little bit of a chump. Like, a friend and I, uh, we both are, like, very much homebodies. We're like, oh, we're going to go see Oliver Arnold's in, like, New York. And, like, when the time came, I think she had just, like, gotten COVID, like, a couple weeks before. But, I mean, she, she was fine, but she's like, I, I don't know if I want to go. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to <laughs> drive up to New York all by myself. Well, I mean, because it's like four hours, like, it's a lot, dude. I ended up not going and selling the tickets, but um, one day my homebody asked, so like the UK Tech Fest or like, um, we'll see. Honestly, the reason why I was inspired to travel out of town for a concert is because I have this one crazy friend who would do weekend trips to Korea 
weekend yes like what the heck right and i i would just look at him like actually this is sean of episode 23 and i was just like dude you are my idol like that is just like my type of crazy so that was why i gave my my husband slash like best friend at the time i was like yes i can go to a concert with you but it must be like a travel concert and at that time we were full working full-time like travel consultants which meant that we had the advantage of doing alternative weekend trips the company would pay for flights anywhere um so long as it was cheaper than our flight home to dallas you're kidding me like because they they're flying us to and from like dallas for work anyway so it's like if you buy a ticket, like instead of going to Dallas, you just go somewhere else and the ticket's like cheaper or equal to the flight to Dallas. Like, what do they care, you know? So that was why it was also easy. But anyway, so going back to the story, I think oh, like... right. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I would say like about one or two months into the, the experimental relationship, I was mm. like, hey, what exactly are we? Because I don't see you as my boyfriend. So the reason why I don't see you as my boyfriend is because I had one relationship ever prior to that one um, in college, where this guy who liked me for a very, very long time, like five years, at the end of like, you know, four or so years, I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Maybe I'm not a romantic, whatever, let's try this. Um, it was a relationship that like lasted six months and I came out that like, I knew I was a romantic. Why did I try that? You know, like, but I was just like, the reason why I tried it was because a good analogy is like when you watch uh, a K-drama or something and like it's like the nice guy and like the girl just would not like give the guy a chance and you're just like why don't you give him a chance like so objectively me looking at the situation I was like this guy's like really nice and like uh -huh. you know like why not like maybe you're not a romantic even though you 99% believe you are like how do you prove the absence of something so I tried it and then I was like yep I hate everything about this like I don't want anyone to kiss me like ever again oh my god <laughs> like all of this I'm like I'm definitely a romantic like that just proved all of it and mm -hmm. so i came out that like yep never having a boyfriend again so fast forward back to the experimental relationship and stuff i was like hey what are we because i don't see you as my boyfriend and he was mm -hmm. like that's fine i don't see you as my girlfriend and then i was like lol then like what are we <laughs> he was like why do we need to label this and i was like well because i personally believe in the power of words like if you can label something then you can understand it and if you can mm -hmm. understand it you feel more comfortable Come, it's like it's comforting to like understand yeah. i kind of thought about it and then i was like hey i don't know if this is actually the right label per se but i feel like it's closer to how i perceive our relationship will you be my husband and he was like yeah sure and i was like great so yeah this is like one or two months into our relationship one or two months i posed that question to him because i want to know like are you just trying me out or are you serious about this because for me from my point of view it's like you or no one else ever again in my life because i don't need to experiment on this anymore like i already know i'm a romantic from my past relationship and i'm trying this because i would like to experience romance but i was very content being a romantic because with being aromantic, it meant I got to avoid a lot of the emotional turmoil that people go through in romantic relationships. And I was very okay with that, you know? I don't need to experience any of that, like the, the bad stuff, you know, the highs, like maybe I'm missing 
out a little bit, but like the lows, which the contrast, it's going to exist. If you have highs, you're going to have lows. And I'm like, I don't think, I don't think the highs are worth the lows. It's like basically what I was telling myself as an aromantic person. And so with him, I, I was just like, you're all I need to ever like experience any form of romance. And like, if this ends, there will be no one else because I will have gotten everything I wanted to like experience out of romance with you. And I just want to know that like, I'm not a phase for you. And so mm-hmm. when he like responded so quickly that he was like, that's what we want this to be. Then like, that's what this is. And I was like, cool. That that makes me feel really good because up until that point I was like what is this weird experimental thing that we're in but I would say that like also pretty quickly on I decided that this was very unfair to him I felt like I was being very unfair to him like I felt like the entire experiment was very unfair to him because mm. he was basically emotionally risking himself to be heartbroken whereas I was just like do 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 like you know what is romance <laughs> like right. it was really interesting because I had this conversation with him and he basically returned to propose like an a very drastic opposing perspective, which I never considered, where he was like, I actually thought that this was always unfair to you. And I was like, what? Like, how? How can this be unfair to me? And he was like, well, basically, as long as we're together in this thing, then I get all the benefits of a romantic relationship. And what the hell, what do you get? You know, if we ever like broke up, then you would quote unquote win. And like, I would lose. But until that happens, like I am getting all the benefits. And I was like, I couldn't see anything but my perspective, which was like, I'm okay, I'm just emotionally using this person who happens to be my best friend. And this is so unfair and I'm so evil. And I remember telling like another one of my girlfriends this the situation and she was projecting onto our relationship based off of like a, a past situation that she was in where she was in love with like this guy who couldn't return her emotions. So Basically, she was projecting herself onto my husband, Joseph, and then, like, the the dude onto me. And she was like, wow, this is, like, so messed up. Like, how could you do this to him? And, like, when she reacted like that, and she's, like, one of my closest friends, I, was, I broke down crying. I was like, no, like, this person that I love, like, that my friend is telling me I'm hurting this other person that I love. It validated, like, all my fears about, like, what I was doing. All that said... I decided that I would psychologically, because I studied neuroscience and biology, I am very aware of our capacity, our mind versus our brain, and the control that we have mm-hmm. to actually structurally change our like the organ that is the brain through our thoughts. And so I was like, I hate everything that I'm doing to like my best friend. And even though he doesn't see it it as unfair, I see it as unfair. So I'm actually going to make myself romantic for him. So I like psychologically change my thought patterns. So everything about our relationship is normal. But I will never introduce myself as romantic because he's the exception. And I have like, I'm still a romantic. Like I'm never going to look for anyone else or anything like that. Mm. It's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, like I've, I also really like how um, you two have like different perspectives of like the same relationship and both are equally valid. It's not like one is greater than the other, just different ways of seeing like an objective thing. I wanted to ask you, um, what's been keeping you sane lately? So, I mean, for the past like few months, it was definitely um, my ex for sure. They brought a lot into my life and I'm really grateful for that. Aside from that, definitely music for sure. And I think I've been focusing a lot on writing a lot, which I don't think I was 
able to do before just because like I was working full time um, and then like a bunch of other things. But I think since I quit my job to focus on like learning coding and like, so the application process for the camp I'm applying for, it's been a month. I didn't expect it to be that long, but um, it's been a month. So like, I, there's not really much I can do except just study and wait. And so being able to write music in that like time span has been really nice. Uh, and I like have like a good chunk in my savings from working full time. So it's been nice having to just focus on freelance and like writing music and like doing more art, especially. Well, I don't get out of the house much, but when I do like either go to cafes to read or like get lunch by myself or get lunch with a friend. Um, it's been really nice to like listen to music that like I wanted to catch up on. Definitely music and art for sure. What were you doing full time previously and what um, pushed you into the decision to like switch over to tech and coding? So I was a studio painter for an interior design firm. Mostly great people. Um, love the manager, love the director. So, so, I mean, okay, one, it was like very physical work. And I think um, my body started to get out like halfway through. Um, there was one point where I just got really, really sick. So we, we paint wallpaper and we have like long like textile tables and like we're painting on these tables. And so we're walking like uh, 20 yards over and over again and then like picking up buckets of paint. Um, so it's definitely a very physical job and like i'm actually also tutoring on the side tutoring english and so some days i'll like work a full day painting and then i'll have to like tutor until like eight or nine and then come home and so when, when i got sick it's like if i go to work sick it gets worse and then like i, I eventually had to take like like a week or two weeks off because like i couldn't catch up it, it was during those like couple weeks that I was like, yeah, I, I'm definitely quitting. Yeah. Also, there was like some workplace stuff um, with this one particular coworker. I, I did not like this person. I tried very hard to be amicable. I don't want to talk negatively about them publicly because I think they have, they, they're very talented. They have a lot to offer to the table, and they're like they again clearly very talented, and like I I enjoy seeing their work, but. You know, as a person, I just don't think we vibed a lot. Um, and even when I tried to, like, reach out and ask if we could, like, talk about it, they actually refused. Yeah, I feel like the, the reasons why people primarily quit their jobs from friends who I've talked with is usually a, some sort of toxic work environment. Because I feel like even if your job is boring, if you have... If you're surrounded by like amazing people, um, yeah. that you're you would be able to continue doing this like boring job because you feel like joy or like support through like the community through your work. So that makes perfect sense. So I'm gonna interrupt here to say that if you found any of these topics interesting or relatable, please hit pause right now to give this show a follow and a rating. Or you know of a friend who needs to hear what's being shared here please take two seconds to message them this episode. It'd mean the world to me to be able to expand the reach of who this podcast could potentially help. How did you find coding then? Um, and what was that decision? I mean, so my friend uh, Ria is actually a programmer. And so um, I asked her while I was sick. There's like a joke. It's like either you like make an OnlyFans or you start learning coding to like make money like in the sand age. So um, I was like, Hey, Rhea, like, could you send me some resources that I can, like, 
maybe start to look up coding or like see if there's um, starter camps or like, would you recommend anything? And so they actually sent me some resources. And so I just started um, with my like fevered brain, just like coding. Um, and I actually just ended up really liking it. Oh, I actually edited my like graphic design website with some of the coding knowledge too. So I was like very happy about that. So I was like, you know, like this might not be a bad route to, to start heading in. And so while I was in the process of quitting, like during my two weeks, I would study more coding. It's from this place called Free Code Camp. And I ended up getting like a little certificate for basic HTML and CSS, which I was like, hell yes. Which coding uh, bootcamp are you applying into? Uh, they're called App Academy. Like my family um, knows like an alum from there. And so I was actually able to talk to him ask how it was and so after hearing about its experience i was like yeah sure why not awesome yeah i went to a coding boot camp called coding dojo so I was oh. just... wait was that also in san fran or um it was they had branches all around and they had a branch in dallas so i just went to their dallas branch okay 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 yeah, yeah. but honestly like my dream job ish is i would not mind working at a cafe. If it paid more, I love interacting with customers. Um, and I love getting to hear people's stories and like making regulars their favorites, honestly, is like the best. Even after like, I've quit the cafe, which is, it's been like, I think I quit around October, November, and I still keep in contact with a couple of regulars. Some of my favorite regulars, uh, we, ne we never really talk, but it's like, it's like little things you see, like this was before like COVID hit. Um, there was a husband that would come in like like 10 or 20 minutes uh, before his wife came in so he could order her drink like a couple minutes before so she didn't have to wait when she came in, which is like the cutest fucking thing. <laughs> like, it's like, like, how can your heart not melt like after that? And so like I, I pretty much learned their order by heart. Like I actually don't remember his order. It, it was like a latte or a cappuccino, but I remember her order because she doesn't like coffee or tea. And she always like steamed almond milk with a little bit of cinnamon. So I think, so I learned how to do latte art with just almond milk and cinnamon just for her. Cutest thing, always seeing them every Wednesday, but they never, I, at least I never really got to see them like after quarantine, but mm. yeah, big sad. But st stuff <laughs> like that, it's like, you never really talk to them, but um you kind of like get a glimpse into like their daily life and it's just like i don't know there's like like a certain kind of beauty in those small moments that like you kind of cherish given like these vignettes of these interactions that you've seen at the coffee shop how do you describe a stranger and at what point do they transition from being one to not being one i think everyone is a stranger and i think no matter how close you are they're always going to be a stranger, but that's not a bad thing. I think a stranger just means that there are layers to the person that you don't know. Just because there are like a lot of layers you don't know doesn't make it a bad thing. It's just, it takes time to like peel away those layers bit by bit. I think there's a certain kind of majesty that comes with unfamiliarity and mystery. And like, that's the fun of it. So you don't think that anyone ever really transitions out of like the strangerhood? Like, yes and no. <laughs> I mean, like th there's definitely people that like you're all, you're going to be very, very, very close to. But I think like the bottom line is that you're never really going to know them fully. But I think that's what makes relationships and friendships especially beautiful because you're not going to know them fully. 
there's always more more to unpack. I love that so much. I think of all the episodes I've recorded, this is the first time I've heard this perspective of it. And I think it's very intriguing, especially because I myself align with this view a lot in that I think about with, for example, my husband, um, mm. as close as we are, that there's still a lot that I don't know about him um, and that I find beauty in that unknown because mm. it means that it's still exciting to be in this, yeah. you know, in yeah. this friendship and in this like relationship. And, and then I think about the fact that like, as we experience things, right. And as we grow older, there will be new unknowns to him as he's mm. like individually living his life and like collecting experiences and developing his personality and like identity around these experiences that I will get to always continually engage and like try to peel back these layers. And I'm like, that is, that is beautiful. And that's what keeps like the friendship refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. My best friend from college, she would always want to go out for food, but I, I always have to ask, like, are you in a sweet mood or are you in a salty mood? Like, one day she'll be like, like, obviously I'm in a salty mood. Like, I'm trying not to eat any sugar. Like, I'm being healthy. But then, like, other days, like, randomly, like, as if it's obvious, she's like, no, I obviously want sweet foods, okay? It, it, it's not in a bad way. It's just, like, it's, like, what, what, what she wants, like, in the moment. But it's just, like, so refreshing and it's, like, so fun and exciting. The whimsy of daily life is always something incredibly special. It keeps things interesting, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Are there any particular art pieces that you've been enjoying lately? Yeah, okay, so art pieces. Um, I would say most recently watching Everything Everywhere all at once. Have you seen that? I, I still have to watch it. Like, uh, really? this, yeah, no, this person recommended, to, recommended it to me and like it's convinced me even more that I need to watch it. I feel like I need to be in like the processing mood to watch it, you know? I am typically always the last person to watch anything, but I, I decided to watch this one in theaters because I received like 10 different recommendations from 10 like unassociated friends and I was like okay fine whatever and I, I even asked someone because I'm this type of person I was like you think I should just wait for it to come out on streaming so I can watch it at home and they were like no you kind of should get the full effects in the theaters and so I was like okay fine I guess I'll pay for it. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, um, I actually did pay for it, and I'm normally a grandma person, so I go to sleep at nine. But I, I decided to watch it after work one day, like drive to downtown where my husband lives. We don't live together. Um, and like, so it was like a 30 minute commute downtown after work to go watch this movie that's like almost three hours long, then drive 30 minutes back home. And so it was definitely breaching on my bedtime and everything, but it was so worth it. And mm -hmm. after, after appreciating how refreshing the storytelling and like the cinematic challenges that they had to overcome to produce this, um, I started to think like, man, I would love to get into acting because they looked like they had so much fun on set that I'm kind of jealous, honestly. And so thanks to that, I've been thinking about I've been thinking about acting <laughs> and then I was, I, was oh. like, I don't know how seriously I'm going to pursue this, but 
I'm easily influenced by new ideas because I'm a creative chimera, which means that, like I get easily distracted or easily inspired. And I was talking to another friend um, when I was visiting them in San Francisco, and they were saying basically the same thing that they felt inspired by watching everything everywhere all at once to consider acting. And so them and their significant other have started looking casually at like casting calls um, to play like extras. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And then all of this has kind of like developed to me, like me being in Cusco currently and having achieved a level of Spanish, I feel confident enough to no longer take Spanish classes. I also started learning Spanish during the pandemic and I had zero Spanish when I started. So now I think I'm like intermediate advanced, like taking so many classes and then also traveling just primarily in Latin America and like Spanish speaking countries that I was like, how can I continue developing my Spanish skills um, without taking classes? And so I'm like, I wanted to take classes that are aimed at locals, AKA they're not language classes, they're just whatever. So like in Mexico City, I took like a painting class. And so I was the only foreigner full of like these like native Mexican city people. And so that was great here. This is all connected, I promise. Um, I found like theater classes and also theater therapy classes. So oh. my theater class, hopefully if everything goes through because they're like waiting for enough students to fill the class. And then my theater therapy class, I've gone to two sessions already. And it's like super intense because when I signed up, I wasn't really sure what I was signing up for. All I knew was that it was like, I've always wanted to try therapy because all my friends who have done therapy is like, this is great, everyone should do therapy. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And then theater because of everything everywhere all at once. So I'm like, okay, acting. And then Spanish because it's a it's <laughs> hosted by like you know a native Cuscanian and she is targeting like native Cuscanians. So I was like, this is the perfect like mix of everything I want: therapy, theater, and Spanish. And right. like, God, it is so intense because it is group therapy. We are processing everyone's conflicts and emotions together, but then we are using acting techniques. So we're like in physically interpreting each other's like emotions and then like yeah bringing out from like the metaphysical and like the the subconscious space into like the physical space and then like we're we're asking people to like story tell their their conflicts whatever they're going through and then we'll help them act through it so that they can process it in this like safe space and holy cow it's so intense because i remember the first two hour session we did like everyone was like crying oh my um, god like, because we were helping this one girl process the death of like her her 14 year old cat jesus and, yeah and like since she was trying to process it and then like we were helping her process it because it's just so much improv and i'm like i don't even know if i could do this I, this amount of improv in english i think i feel safer to do it in spanish ironically because it's like everyone knows i'm the foreigner and everyone knows how nervous i am because i, I expressed it you know in my introduction as well as the fact that it's not my native language so i felt like I feel more comfortable here because everyone will give me more grace. Like if I if I get stuck, then it's just be like, oh, Spanish is not her native language. That's fine. <laughs> right. We were all asked to act as like the dead cat and to like give like <laughs> to no. like help them process like and so all I could say because like everyone else was like giving speeches, you know, and I'm like. 
my Spanish is not capable of like giving a speech right now in this emotional moment. So like I remember I just got up to like the girl, um, and I was like the, the third or fourth person to go after hearing like everyone say like these like ten minutes. I don't even know how long. I was just like so stressed, you know. I was just like, please don't cry anymore. I just want to see you happy. Like this is me like acting as like the cat, like speaking uh-huh. as like the conveyor, and then oh. like. I didn't know like how else to convey because like I, I couldn't say anymore. So I just uh-huh. like started crying in front of her, like <laughs> and like, but I felt like it was also appropriate because like I felt like you know as like any two being that have spent like fourteen years of like love together, this cat and like her, that's mm-hmm. like if you see that this person that you love is like grieving for so long like of course you're gonna like grieve too so i was like i'm gonna say these two lines and then just cry <laughs> <laughs> you got it like, yeah, yeah. i don't have to say any more spanish i am sad for you <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yes it has <laughs> okay i'm gonna turn this to something more lighthearted. um if you had to get a tattoo today what would it be and why? And also, do you have any tattoos? Uh, okay, I wish, but <laughs> tattoos are expensive, okay? I don't know if I'm, like, decisive enough to, like, pick something that I want on the rest of my body for the rest of my life. Uh, so, I mean, I would get, like, sunflowers, like, here, okay. uh, like, on my um, right arm, like, like tricep? This is, yeah, this is yeah, what yeah. it's called. Yeah, tri- yeah, yeah, yeah. I would get it like in my tricep. I've always liked sunflowers because, well, I didn't know this, but um, there's a band called Silent Planet. They used to like th- give away sunflowers at like their shows because they represent like peace in nuclear nuclear war. Because sunflowers are the only flowers that grow in Chernobyl, so they're the only flowers that grow in like nuclear waste whoa right yeah yeah yeah. and so i think that's like a beautiful metaphor of like like life sprouting from death or like life sprouting from tragedy you know and it's always just this continuous cycle and so i think it would be like a really good reminder i guess i wouldn't see my underarm as much but yeah i was like interesting location that you picked because it's like a location that you wouldn't really be able to see but other people could see i guess but i mean i guess i would always know that it's there but also, I, I feel like I wouldn't get too bothered by it. Oh, have you done any pieces that you like lately? So, um, in terms of art, art, I feel like the extent of the art I've really been doing is just casual iPhone photography. Um, besides the fact that I am currently traveling, like even when I'm at home, I I normally snap photos of like sidewalks when I'm taking my like morning walk around the neighborhood or like clouds and stuff it's just my form of gratitude so very Mm. casual um lo-fi photography but then also because i am traveling so much i've I've started writing more i just Mm. finished a written piece that i pushed out on medium and then i'm also redistributing um on instagram with some visuals and i'm really digging the outlet of writing which i never in my life would have thought i would enjoy because i hated english class and i hated writing growing up because i always blamed it on the fact that i immigrated to america but i immigrated to america when i was seven so i would always Mm -hmm. say like oh it's because english is my second language even though it's truly like my native tongue (laughs) that's not like a good excuse but i think i I just found it so hard because of the interpretive layer to it that I was just like, 
how can you ever know? And then like, we're just making up all this stuff. That's like, mm -hmm. you know, the author wanted to say this because the symbolism here or there, <laughs> like maybe academic writing kind of took away the fun of writing for me. I remember meeting my Gemini twin brother when I was 25 and he was like 27. And he was telling me, because he was also very much also a creative chimera in that he just experimented with like different mediums, different new technology and apps and stuff to output his, his feelings and interpretation of the world. And at that point, he was also really getting into writing. And me at 25, looking at him when he was like 27, 28, and I was like, oh, how fascinating, like writing is not my thing like I was still thinking that at 25 even though I've been out of school for you know several years and he was telling me that he was getting into writing because he felt like it was a more direct a more direct way to convey your thoughts and feelings over something that is just purely visual because when it's purely visual like a drawing or um a painting or you know just purely visual there's so many ways to interpret that but with writing it's so direct um, and yes there can still be like sub interpretations and stuff but it's clearer I think than than just like looking at a picture and so that was what he was telling me I thought interesting interesting but like it's what's really fascinating is that like I'm about to turn 28 now like about three years later and I'm like mm -hmm. I think I get it <laughs> I think it's true. Like, I, I still love all those other mediums, but um, yeah, there's something about writing that I'm just kind of allowing myself to enjoy, especially outside of like the academic realm. First, you need to send me that thing you wrote. I want to read it ASAP. <laughs> Second, like, is it mainly like prose or is it more like poetry? Or you mentioned it being like clear cut. So, I mean, like, it sounds more like prose, but I mean, it's more like a diary entry um, mm. is what I've written uh, reflecting on my last three weeks of travel. So me leaving Dallas, um, my week in San Francisco to like my first two weeks here in Cusco um, and like my reflection on belonging and this idea that like being as nomadic as I am, the question that I constantly ask myself is, will I ever feel at home? So that's the title of the piece, like, will I ever feel at home? You find that, because you do your own writing for your music mm -hmm. and stuff, yeah. um, you find re reoccurring themes that come up all the time through your art. Well, okay, well, the short answer is yes. It's very much cyclical. The first album that I put out in my evangelical faith, which is like very different from what I am now. It's like thinking about the same things, but through different lenses as I like transition from season to season. So I think when I wrote The Silent God, when my OCD started to get really bad, but I didn't know it was OCD and I like couldn't process it. So I like tried to process it through very much like the lens of the faith I grew up with. Very religious. And so it kind of like addresses suffering as like, having some inherent meaning to it and then it'll all be washed away once we die because we get to go to heaven but like the next album is a lot more brutal because the ocd stuff that i thought faded away and like that i thought i could manage more got a thousand times worse i actually ironically had mental breakdown at a church retreat that i was leading for and um so like considering like the background of the last album and like 
finding hope in like religion and like God, it's very ironic. <laughs> so one, that was like a very life altering event, especially when you're like praying for like four hours <laughs> straight, asking God to help and like later asking God to end your life. Um, it definitely changes your perspective on religion and like it changes your perspective on life and like what's important the void alone uh which is the brutal-ish album is so it focuses on like suffering and religion through an existentialist lens like how do i know like my faith is real do i know that god is real like does suffering have meaning does anything matter basically but i always love concept albums and so like this one i like told a story where there's this main character who I'm a sucker for sci-fi. So she's like the last human um, and she escapes on a rocket and like from nuclear war and like everything's like destroyed. And so there's like a bit of environmentalism and like anti-capitalism that's like there as well. But she escapes Earth and then so she's just alone on a rocket, unable to like do anything like she has like no purpose. She There's like no planet she's going to. So she's just really alive for the sake of being alive and so she's asking herself why am i alive like can i do anything that's meaningful like because like i can't grow and i can't change but like the rocket itself is like a metaphor for the body and like the inside is a metaphor for like mental illness or like the subconscious it's like can you do anything while confined in this body can you do anything while confined in this like chronic mental illness and so i wanted to make it more broad as opposed to like specifically about OCD. It kind of like details about like her, like can I definitively know like if there's a God, like can I create meaning out of my life that doesn't have like inherent meaning. Kierkegaard, who's very famously existentialist and Christian, it's like you don't really know, you just kind of have to take a jump. And so I think that's where I sort of reside now. Like I don't know, but that's what faith is. And you like take a jump and like, I don't know if I'm right, and I don't know if other people are right. We kind of extend that grace to everybody, you know? And so the next album I'm writing is about suffering as, like, part of a journey, but not, like, the same spiritual journey as, like, the silent God, but rather, like, more, say, like, creating meaning out of suffering. Like, suffering is suffering because it has no inherent meaning. Like, suffering just sucks. I don't think, like, there's any discernible meaning to it. Like, it doesn't build character. I mean, like... We see that very clearly in wars and genocide and oppressed classes of people. What we choose to do with that suffering is very meaningful and how we choose to grow out of it is very meaningful. Not that it like produces meaning, but we choose to grow from it. And obviously it would be great if there weren't any suffering. Like that's the goal, to minimize suffering. But the next album is about, I don't want to give a whole lot away, but it's using the seven days of creation as like Judeo-Christian model of creation myth of the seven days as sort of like an allegory. And I'm touching on like affirmations of science, um, affirmations of queer theology and queer ecology, uh, anti-capitalism as per usual. All, all of that sort of roped in as like, how do we sort of wrestle with living in this society or living in sort of in a space where the world is vast and the universe is meaningless. And like, we're, we're confronted with the idea that we'll one day like perish and nothing that we have done will remain. Like this podcast in like a thousand years or so, like no one will remain. So like, how do we create meaning? How do we create something that we feel is important to us? Um, 
and hopefully like I can sort of articulate like so something that slightly makes sense using the seven days of creation as sort of like an allegory of birth and rebirth like as a continual cycle. I find this theme to be really, really fascinating. So thank you so much for, I guess, like processing it and then like sharing your interpretation of like yeah, of and such um, through your art. That's really cool. And I love the hopefulness found in this idea of death and rebirth. It's something I think about quite often thanks to my monthly cycle of my biological period and this idea of shedding and letting go of the past as well as the importance of the phoenix in the Chinese culture. If you'd like to meet Nathan yourself, I'll link his Instagram in the show notes. Or if you want a personal introduction, of course, you can reach me at Don't Be Strangers on Instagram. The Instagram page will also have links to our Discord and the application to co-host if either of these things interests you. Speaking of which, you can also chat to both Nathan and I in our Discord. Love letter number 12. Today is Monday, July 4th. 2022, a week into my stay here in Lima, Peru. It was also the first time reuniting with my husband after five weeks apart while I explored San Francisco and Cusco. I totally didn't take into consideration that it would be both winter and cloudy here in Lima when I asked Joseph to live here for six weeks with me. It's interesting because I've always told myself this narrative that I could never live in places like London or Seattle because the overcast weather would just really kill my vibe. Um, yet here I am living in exactly those conditions. I think the moment I realized that this would be my reality, I just kind of accepted it. But overall, it's been really good. This past weekend is a long weekend in the United States, so we took advantage of doing a weekend getaway with Peru Hop, a tour bus service here that is really unique in terms of how it allows flexibility of travel. I was really impressed because normally I dislike tour group type activities since it takes away your freedom to divide your time as you'd like, but they made the experience really buffet style and choose what you want. On Saturday, we were picked up at our accommodations at 7am and we set off to Paracas, a little beach town three hours south of Lima, where Joseph and I just chose to really chill it out. Um, our highlight activity of that day was just walking along the coast at sunset. Um, on Sunday, we had an 8am boat tour of the Ballestas Islands where we were able to see various native birds, sea lions, and Humboldt penguins. At 10.30am, we went to the National Reserve of Paracas where we saw stunning coastlines and desert landscapes. At 12.30pm, we left for Huacachina, which is famous for its oasis town inside of a desert. Um, we rode these dune buggies, which felt more like a roller coaster ride <laughs> because it was meant to be more of a high adrenaline experience. And then they also brought us to the top of these dunes where we would essentially do sand sledding down on these boards until sunset. And then we left at 7 p.m. and arrived back in Lima at midnight. So I'm still recovering a little bit, but feeling so grateful and full of joy and love. Whenever I see grand landscapes such as the sand dunes of Huacachina or the coastlines of Paracas, I remember just how small we are in the cosmos. And it's very comforting in a way because it helps me put my worries into perspective. 
As a reminder, if you're interested in chill and deep conversations with some new friends, please consider signing up for our game night on July 24th to celebrate the first year of Don't Be Strangers with us. Or if you'd like to stay tuned for information for how you can personally be connected with two new friends a month who are introspective and open-minded students of life like you, please follow us on at Don't Be Strangers or our website don'tbestrangers.club where you can drop your email for me to notify you of all the latest and greatest. As always, please write to me. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, don't be a stranger.